Welcome to Advent Christian Voices with the Renewed Church Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Reynolds, and I'm joined by the great, the amazing, the he has some really awesome facial hair, although he could do with getting a beard. The Grandmaster Justin Nash. What's up, yeah, Grandmaster the pro- Justin Nash? The problem with my beard is is it's mostly white and gray now. So I'm getting some gray streaks in mine. Yeah, so um, mine's mine's getting pretty white. So that's that's try to stay away from that, I guess. But yeah, and, and if you're listening to the podcast, uh, if we sound like we're a little uh, uh, choppy coming in, it's because we just had an argument with uh, with Tom Logry, who is the uh, he's the guy for Evan Christian Voices. He's the creator, the the mind, and if so he's the producer of the show, he's also the producer of the show. So he records this, edits it, and everything. Well. He also makes it the most difficult thing to start a show off because he'll say, okay, you're live now start five seconds from now. But, and then he'll say after that you're live and then we won't know what to do. So I've asked for simple things like, Hey, just give me a thumbs up. So then he'll say, Hey, you're live. And there'll be about 10 seconds of silence. And then he'll finally give us a thumbs up. Like, Hey, you guys could have started 10 seconds ago. Very, the most difficult thing. Hey, you didn't you didn't get the whole in, you missed the whole intro again this time i think did i miss the whole intro see I don't, tom I don't remember. just throw I don't me through a loop it just makes things difficult Eric. now tom tom we're recording now we're, we're recording i it see makes things difficult <laughs> so you, we're the talent on the show right we're the talent we get to make demands yikes if we're the talent more. <laughs> <laughs> That's not saying much for our denomination if we're the yeah, ones. That's not saying much at all. So, what about, uh, yeah. so but what so we are trying to do. Oh, what, yeah, what, yeah, what, but what? your cat, your calves, your calves did well last night. So no, not my no, not my calves. I don't want anyone to make any mistake. I am a Boston fan of all things Boston. So I am a Celtics fan through and through. And last night, this is the day after Game Four, and we'll have Game Five tomorrow night. Um, in Boston tomorrow, last night it was it was a better game than Game Three, but we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I wasn't impressed, but Justin, you know what we're we're here for? You know what we're doing? We are what? seeking. We're seeking to lead the discussion while providing practical advice on church health among Advent Christian churches. There's the intro for you. How do you like uh, it? Yeah, it's great. Maybe maybe you'll put it in the right place next time. <laughs> Maybe I will. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, making any promises. So today's topic is pastoral health and church health and how they're connected. So um, the first question I have for you, Grandmaster Nash, is this. How can a pastor influence the success or lack thereof in a church revitalization? I, boy, it, it's huge. I, the pastor is key in a revitalization situation, even either for the success or the failure. There's so many different things a pastor can can do or or not do that that's going to be having a huge effect. But just one of the simple things is that does the pastor love his people? Mm. Right. I mean, it's just it's key. One is one of the great things I heard from a guy named Mark Clifton. He said is a question for for pastors. He says. Do you love the church you have or do you love the church you wish you had? Mm. And I think it's that's like it's the number one thing in a revitalization situation really is 
you're coming into a, a, a place where the people are hurting, the church is down, just uh, typically spiritually and emotionally. Uh, an analogy is, is sometimes used of, uh, you think of you know, talking about Cleveland, you think about what would it be like to be in the Cleveland Browns locker room um, mm. every year. And that's the way a lot of our churches are. And so it's really important that a pastor be committed to coming in and loving his people and shepherding his people, whatever people are there. Mm-hmm. And some of those people are going to be raw and some of them are going to be cantankerous and mean and hard to love because they're hurt. And it's really incumbent upon a pastor to step in there and just commit to loving people. Mm-hmm. That number one, first and foremost, don't try to change them, just love them and get to know them. That's, that's the first thing that, that in a revitalization situation, but a lot of pastors go in and they see a church as a project to be fixed and they mm-hmm. have all the plans and all the ideas and they just go in there like a bull and, just try to mow everything down and they begin to see people as, as obstacles. And, and anytime you see the people in your church, the members of your church as obstacles or enemies, then you have a real problem. Mm-hmm. And that's really, you're, you're not going to be successful generally in revitalization if that's the case. Yeah. I had actually an example of that I had a professor <clears throat> um, a while back, when I was taking a church revitalization class at Gordon Conwell, and he was talking about his approach to church revitalization, which was this. He would go into a place, and he would be a bull in a china shop. He would be forceful. He would break everything up and and move move forward from there. And um, he was seeing it as a way to go about church revitalization. So he might go into a place that had 50 people. It might get down to 10, and all of a sudden, it would explode. Um the problem with that, and I had a problem with this back then, as much as I have a problem problem with it now, is that what happens to those 40 other people? And I think that we need to understand that people aren't necessarily obstacles. They could absolutely be an obstacle in the sense that they are um, stunting the growth of other people or, or the church or, or things that you're trying to do. But God has still called the pastor to that group of people for a period of time. And I say that as much for my own health as a pastor as I do for others, that um, even the people in our churches that we just, we all have those individuals that that we know that anytime we interact with them, we either got to be very careful with what we say, or we know that they could say something that will reopen a wound that maybe they've already caused in the past. But essentially being called to the pastorate, um, and caring for people, you have to walk around with open wounds all the time, being a lot, allowing people to reopen those wounds um, and relying on Christ to heal those. Um, but, you know, back to back to one of the other points that you made about having plans and things like that, like that, it does take a special kind of person. Like you have to be a shepherd, of course, and like a true shepherd with a shepherd's heart. But you also have to have some level of strategy in mind like you have to be able to look at something and and like to build something from the ground up as as one of my profs once said difference between there's a lot of similarities in planting a church and revitalizing a church you just got to figure out if you prefer recycling or just building from the ground up Mm -hmm. um and i think that's a good good um analogy yeah um again to go back to mark clifton when he talks about the eight characteristics of a, a church revitalizer he, the number one thing is what he calls a visionary shepherd. 
Mm-hmm. And so there's that combination of being a visionary, but shepherding people. Mm-hmm. And, and there are people we, you know, we call them, we call them EGR people, extra grace required, mm-hmm. right? Because they, and, and they're people that, uh, they're people that help you with your sanctification as a pastor. Mm-hmm. And, and we all have those, those folks. And, and at times we have been those folks. Mm. And so I think it's important for us to remember that as well. Um, mm-hmm. And for pastors to remember that you think you're exercising pa- patience with your people, but a lot of times the people in the church are exercising a lot of grace and patience with you as well. And not to forget that. I think another mistake a lot of pastors make is that they, they don't respect the past and they don't honor the past. They just say, oh, this was bad or, or we shouldn't have done this or they kind of put off well, that was then and this is now. Uh, it's really important, particularly if it's a long established church and you have some some older members who have been grounded there for a while to just make sure you go in and, and learn the culture, learn the church and show respect to it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you're saying, hey, we're going back to that. It just means, OK, I, I can appreciate and understand how we got here. I can appreciate and understand the ministry that took place. But that's something again. A lot of other, a lot of, a lot of guys will do. They go in and revitalization, and it's just a complete reboot. And we don't care about the past. We don't care how how things got this way. We don't care about your grandpa or pastor so and so because this is a different time. It's just unwise, and it, it's very much related to loving people and shepherding people. That you you want to make sure you you understand that. Yeah. And a lot of those mistakes, because I've made those mistakes as, you know, and, and thankfully I'm only an associate pastor, not the lead pastor at where I'm at. So, you know, a lot of those mistakes get covered up by the great pastoral care that is found in, in our church. And, you know, there have been times that I've been in ministry where I've looked at people in that way where like, okay, I don't care about your great granddaddy um, and what, ha- what he did or what your great grandmother did. Um, there's a world that is um, that is fallen out there. And there are people who are going to be destroyed on judgment day that they are uh, living, not only that, but they're living without Christ. They're not living with eternal life in their hearts, not living um, to the glory of God. The mission trumps whatever pastoral care situation comes up. Or when I see, oh, well, we can't do this because, you know, I remember 50 years ago with body, blah, blah, blah. And there were times that I know in my own heart where I go, I really couldn't care less about what happened 50 years ago. Like we, we need to make changes so that we can reach our community with the gospel because we're not trying to reach the community of 50 years ago. Now there's some truth to that, right? Like we're not trying to reach the community of 50 years ago, but there was sin in my heart. There were issues in my heart that I had not realized were there until God had revealed them through his Holy spirit. So um, you know, it's important for, for pastors to understand um, the past and to appreciate it, but not necessarily have to live there and graciously move the saints on, of which they are the pastor of, uh, move them to a place where they can understand and appreciate the here and now um, and not have to always look forward and wish things were, were the way they were 50 years ago. Yeah. I think another related issue there is is just being patient mm. with people in the situation because we do want to rush in and change everything, especially if there's a sense of urgency. If you have a congregation, for instance, that has 25 or 30 people and they're all over 80, 
there's a sense of urgency there. Mm-hmm. But we just want to be patient. Slow and steady wins the race, I think, uh, most of the time. And you just have to be willing to to sit in. And, and I think this is another mistake that related to this is, is that a lot of church revitalizers, they'll go in a situation, they don't get whatever results they think ought to be there in two or three years, and they leave. But in a revitalization situation, it takes three to five years before you start to see any forward momentum typically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you have to be patient. And and so often people, pastors overestimate what they can do in a year and they underestimate what they can do in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's just really important that anybody going into a revitalization situation in any kind of leadership role has a sense of, of steady patience. Okay, we know we need to make changes, but we're going to be tactical about how we do it. We're going to be wise and discerning. We're going to be considerate. But we're, we're going to make changes. We're going to have forward progress. But we also understand that this church has been here for 80, 100, 120 years. It's not going to turn around in a year uh, just without some miraculous sort of revival of God, which can happen and does from time to time. But but most of the time, it's just a slow, steady, patient turnaround. And so when, when a guy goes into a revitalization situation, he needs to be thinking, Okay, I'm I'm here for at least a decade. Mm-hmm. That's how long I want. I'm planning on sticking this out because the patience is so important to be willing to. And I think it says a lot to your people too, if you if you're willing to to grind through these really difficult and low times with them and not jump ship to to something better. So as a pastor, being patient with your people, being patient with God's timing in a situation, but knowing how to be patient and move forward is a real skill that a lot of people lack in revitalization situations. Yeah. So Justin, how can churches ensure they have a quality pastor for their situation? Boy, that's tough because, and this is related, I mean, I see the other question you have here, and so I'm going to confuse the two a little bit, but a guy can be a really, really good pastor and not be cut out for church revitalization. Mm-hmm. Or that so, particular revitalization. Like, each situation is different, right? Each situation is different. That's true. I mean, I think there's some probably some general characteristics that make a good church revitalizer somebody who can go in and do that but but yeah that's true that contextually everything's a little bit different but a guy who can can really pastor uh, a strong established church is not necessarily going to be successful as a revitalizer and a church planter uh, while the skill sets might there may be some similarities a church planter is going to kill a revitalization he's going to go he's going to lose his mind and he's going to just everybody's going to be frustrated and that's going to end badly because it's a, it's just a much different kind of situation because in a church plant in 3 years you better be hopping and better be viable and in a revitalization 3 years you're just getting started mm-hmm. and so but how do you ensure you have a quality pastor i think there's probably a few things you you want to consider there i think Certainly training and there's some level of education is going to be important. You want to make sure that you have someone who has a good theological base from which they're working. 
sort of someone who's very gospel centered and and and, um, and very sort of missional in their outlook. But uh, you know what that's going to look like is going to be different. I, I'm not saying that everybody who's going to needs to go to seminary. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that I think you need someone, you want to make sure you have someone who has a real solid theological foundation. Mm. I think making, and this is where it's incumbent upon uh, sort of denominational bodies like us or regions or whatever, to make sure that we actually have a screening process in place mm-hmm. where if, when a church needs a revitalizer, they have somebody they can go to and they can say, Hey, who, who can help us? And mm-hmm. so I think having good screening, I think it's important for, for guys who are revitalizers, who are good at it to mentor and disciple men coming up as well mm-hmm. so that they're you're kind of creating a pipeline. So I think all those things, I think you're never going to be able to ensure that you have the right person a hundred percent, but you can kind of make sure there's somebody of quality and integrity. And you do that by, by just getting to know the person, checking references, those sorts of things. So what if, so what if you had, like, what if you were desperate, right? Say you're a church, you haven't had a pastor in a long while, or you're about to lose your pastor. You're getting desperate because you know that the Advent Christian denomination is lacking uh, ready pastors for the pastorate. And um, you actually, you find out about somebody and then you get told, hey, this person that you might be interested in probably isn't the right person. Um, you know, do you trust the, uh, should you trust wise counsel or should you just go with what what feels right oh well, i thought you were going to ask a hard question <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i you know i don't know it, it depends i guess is the answer it, it, there's so many factors there there's only one right answer it's only one right answer <laughs> well if you're given the recommendation that's the right answer uh you, you go with what eric says uh, but if Eric's not the one giving the recommendation, I think <laughs> there's, it depends. You know who's who's giving you the recommendation. How kind of trustworthy are they, and how well do you know them, and do you trust them? And that goes a long way. I, I don't like this idea of well, well, that just feels right. I think that's kind of dangerous as well. I think there, there's got to be some some sense of of discernment. And but, you know, honestly, that goes back to the pastoral epistles and quality leadership and having uh, people who meet the qualifications for pastors and elders in charge of the church. Because if you have discerning, discerning people got with godly discernment are not going to make those kinds of snap decisions. They'll they'll wait out a season until God provides the right person before they'll make a mistake like that. And we'll Typically. talk a little bit. We'll talk a little bit about this because we have a podcast coming up that will be on the leadership crisis in the Advent Christian Church health. Um, but one of the things that I've noticed, um, <clears throat> based on the conversations that we've had, and through with those who in which I've connected with um, for the last while in the denomination, is that the leadership crisis is making churches um, nervous in our denomination and saying, "Where am I going to find a pastor?" Let's just latch on to the first name that comes up or, or, you know, they're becoming desperate. So they and desperation can often cloud those with godly wisdom, I think. So 
um, it can make it very difficult to make a, a wise decision when you look towards the pastor as the one who runs the church and we don't have one of those. So, and, and there ain't many coming up. So what are we going to do? No, it's tough. I mean, I guess we could go be Presbyterians and go on an appointment system, <laughs> but that's probably not going to work. I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, okay no, with I'm that. sure you are. Um, so, so I think that kind of just to close up, you know, I think one of the encouraging things to say, because I've struggled with this personally, as I've tried to discover how God has wired me in the call on my own life. And, and you know this, because we talk personally uh, offline, is that like, okay, has God personally wired me to be part of a revitalization? Has he wired me to plant churches? Has he wired me to just go to an established church and this and that? And it's a very difficult thing to discern. But I can tell you that like even going through seminary, that has clouded my judgment, not made it more clear in this sense. Like whenever we talk in seminary about one area of specialty and one of those things, make it sound like this has to be you. This is the mold of being a pastor. You have to be able to do this. You have to be able to do that. So you kind of read yourself into certain things. So like I want to encourage pastors that might be listening or even churches out there. There are pastors who aren't wired for revitalization. That's not their call. And that doesn't mean they're a bad pastor. It doesn't mean it's, it has no characterization on their, on their character or qualifications for, to be an elder or anything like that. It's just God has not called them to that specific ministry, which is absolutely okay. We should be happy about that, that God has made all of us a little bit different and for his own purpose, for his own glory. So um, if this ain't for you, then praise God, you know, because he has something for you that that is going to glorify him. So, so what I got from that is you're against seminary. Justin, ju- Justin, Justin, r- really, man? Like you trying to you trying to set me off already? Like it's only we're recording this. It's it's not even ten thirty yet in the morning, and you're trying to you're, you're trying to get me going. That's not gonna happen. Okay. Well, I, I had to try anyway. I'm gonna reel back. People don't want to hear hear what I gotta say. I'm still in seminary, so so uh, of course I'm I'm pro educating our pastors, although it doesn't have to be seminary. So, all right, man. Well, I think that kind of concludes today's uh, pod. Do you have any parting shots that you want to share with the audience? Now, the only other thing I would say about if you're a pastor in a revitalization situation, one other piece of advice would be to make sure you're communicating clearly. Hmm. Make sure that people understand what you are trying to do, but more importantly, why you're trying to do it. Because a lot of times, a lot of, obstruction or opposition comes from a lack of clarity from people. They just don't understand what you're trying to do. And uh, so if you're, if you're a pastor in that situation, just make sure you're communicating well with your people that you're listening to them, that you're answering their questions because that'll go a long way in, in helping you as well. So just one kind of final piece of advice there, make sure you're communicating well and clearly and remember that communication is a two-way street that is going to require you to listen as well as speak. Thanks, man. And uh, hey, this is uh, Eric Reynolds and Grandmaster Nash signing off. Uh, have a good one, and we hope to uh, hope to keep you as an audience. God bless.